This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hello and welcome to Live and Learn on The Bigger Picture with me, Lim Su An. There's no question that drug abuse is a serious problem and threat to society. Now, often people who use drugs or inject drugs are seen as criminals. Um, society sees drug abuse and trafficking as crimes that are worthy of heavy punishment. But has the war on drugs pushed us to the point where the stigma and discrimination against people who use drugs is hindering us from effectively tackling what is a public health problem as well? So in conjunction with International Day Against Drug Abuse and Illicit Trafficking, which is commemorated annually on 26th June, that was yesterday, we'll be diving into what a people-centred approach to drug policies should look like. So joining me on the show to do that is Dr. Afika Mohamed Saleh, a senior lecturer in the Department of Social and Preventive Medicine at the Faculty of Medicine, University of Malaya. She's also part of the Centre of Excellence for Research in AIDS, also known as CHERIA. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today, Ika. Hi, Sue, and thank you so much for having me today. Now, let's start with some terminologies, right? What do we actually mean by drug abuse? And is it the same or different to drug addiction or drug use in general? Yeah, so there are different terms that we can talk about. We have drug use, drug abuse, uh, drug dependence or drug addiction. But when we talk about drug use, we usually refer to illicit drugs such Mm -hmm. as heroin and cannabis, those that are being classified under the Dangerous Drugs Act uh, 1952. Um, drug abuse, on the other hand, is um, misusing illicit drugs, you know, um, over-the-counter medicine um, that are not being used according to its uh, dosage, the cough medicine, the paracetamol and all that. And then we have this drug dependence um, or addiction term that we, we, we usually heard of drug use, drug abuse, but not really drug dependence because mm-hmm. it's something that people don't understand really. So when drug use is problematic, um, you know, increased frequency of use, you can see impacts on relationships, work or study in a negative way. So that is, that means you're starting to get dependent uh, on drug. And a common misconception about drug dependence is that an individual will immediately get addicted by using drugs. So that's not the case, actually. Well, we know that many substances can be addictive. Drug dependence is not caused by simply using uh, drugs, right? So, and and the experience of substance use is different mm-hmm. for each individual. Well, one individual can get dependent on drugs; another can, uh, you know, can use drugs uh, occasionally or recreationally. Mm. So really, it's quite important to make the distinction as well, right? Yes. When we want to understand what actually is happening, for example, in a population. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really um important to differentiate between drug use and, and drug dependence because you know out of ten people who are using drugs, uh, probably one would develop drug dependence, and there's this combination of biological, psychological, social factors that contribute to you know that is this transition of using drugs and then becoming addicted or dependent on drugs. So some of the risk factors for drug dependence can include uh, a person's genes, the way a person's brain functions, uh, experience of trauma, uh, cultural influences, uh, social issues like poverty, um, barriers to assessing health and social services. Hmm. All right. So um, a lot of different factors that can influence whether or not someone gets dependent on drugs. I think that's something that a lot of us often misunderstand. You know, we think that, OK, everyone who is on drugs is yeah. 
is it's going to be addicted to drugs, but that's not the case. Now, our discussion today um, is also going to be centred around this year's theme, which is People First, Stop Stigma and Discrimination and Strengthen Prevention. Now, focusing on the people side of things, what have you observed in terms of people's attitudes, um, you know, the language that they use towards people who use drugs? What have you seen in the span of your work? Yeah. So because of that misconception uh, about drug use and drug dependence, so people don't really differentiate between these terms. So the term drug addict is being applied to everyone, Mm -hmm. everyone who who is using drugs. And we still observe the term drug addict. And this term has actually uh, has this negative connotation. And there's this negative image that has always been attached to drug use, you know, dirty people with no hopes, unhygienic, crazy, homeless, unemployed. And, and and this stigma persists because it's highly punitive, right? So for many years, we have declared war on drugs, uh, which eventually become war on drug users and mm-hmm. also the families involved. Um, can I quickly share um, an experience that I have mm-hmm. just a couple of days ago? So we had this talk at a private college. So we were uh, aiming to talk about drug use and treatment. Mm-hmm. And we found out uh, from the organizers that a lot of students decided not to go uh, because they know that this is a talk on drug use and they themselves are using drugs and they don't want to go because they were scared that we are going to do a urine test on them. Mm-hmm. It probably leads them to, um, you know, to prisons or jails or being reprimanded. So I think it's a missed opportunity to engage with these students to kind of, you know, to provide hope for them, to provide um, support in terms of treatment and all that. So, it's, it's still very um, highly uh, stigmatized um, in, in our local context. Hmm. If I could, um, you know, dive a bit more onto that point, you know, how how does this sort of behavior, the stigma that even drug users think about themselves, how does that impact their physical and mental health or even their ability to get help, um, to get out of, you know, that cycle of drug use or drug dependence? So, um when we talk about stigma, there is uh, two different kinds of stigma. One is um, internal stigma and the other is um, external stigma. Mm-hmm. So internal stigma means that they, even when there is no pressure from the outside, um, they would still feel that, for instance, they would say, oh, I'm a, a drug user, right? I don't go I don't go to places where where it's fun and, and um you know there are a lot of people because people might identify me as a drug user, right? So it's their own narratives of how people should be viewing um stigma. When in fact we don't actually target them, mm-hmm. right? So these perceptions are coming from their own inner feelings. And and external stigma is something that the community has been external stigma means that uh, the stigma has been put place by society, mm-hmm. right? Because of the uh, negative labels that are attached with stigma. So they don't go forward for treatment. They don't want to be identified as drug users. They don't want to be seen as drug users. And mm-hmm. I don't think uh, some of them, if they're especially when they're using drugs occasionally, they would not identify them as, um, you know, drug addict. Um, therefore, they don't reach out to people as much as they should be. Mm. And, and also, if there is um, uh, an experience of going through the criminal justice system, mm-hmm. there is this label 
or criminal mm. being put on them, right? Because they have been uh, incarcerated and they are released and there is this label of um, um, criminal. They have criminal records. And because of these criminal records, which is uh, attached to them for the rest of their lives, there is a challenge to get a work, to get employment. And a lot of people don't want to employ them because mm. of the labels that are being attached to them as a criminal. Mm. Do they also face that stigma from family members as well, you know, because they've been labeled as criminals, as drug addicts? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we still hear these stories of um, family members not wanting to accept their family members who use drugs because of uh, these labels, because of um, what society perceives drug users to be and, and they always look at drug criminals uh, drug use as criminals right and mm. these are attached to the family name as well um so i think there are still stories about families being uh less accepting of our uh, drug users if I could play devil's advocate for a bit, Ika, you know, we, we, we've been talking about how they are often perceived as criminals. Now, some people would say that, well, they are criminals because they are doing something um, against the law. They're using drugs. They are, in some cases, even selling it. So what would you tell people about why we should be actually mindful about how we think about them, how we talk about this issue um, and, and to not do it from a criminal, criminal justice lens? Yeah, I think we should be mindful because with us being judgment, judgmental, as I mentioned, they don't come forward to address their uh, drug use. All right, we do have to go for a quick break now. On the show with me today is Dr. Afika Mohamed Saleh, Senior Lecturer in the Department of Social and Preventive Medicine at University Malaya's Faculty of Medicine. She's joining me on the show to discuss um, how we can introduce people-centred approaches to drug policies and why it's important for us to end stigma and discrimination against people who use drugs. We'll be right back on Live and Learn, PFM 89.9. Welcome back to Live and Learn on The Bigger Picture with me, Lim Su An. It was International Day Against Drug Abuse and Illicit Trafficking yesterday on the 26th of June. And so on today's show, we are talking about um, the issue of drug abuse and why it's important for us to end stigma and discrimination against people who use drugs. Joining me to discuss today's topic is Dr. Afika Mohamed Saleh, Senior Lecturer in the Department of Social and Preventive Medicine at University Malaya's Faculty of Medicine. She's also part of Jeria which is the Centre of Excellence for Research in AIDS. Now, Ikan, if I could paint a scenario, right? If someone who uses drugs um, happens to be found by law enforcement, what happens to that individual? What help, um, if any, are they offered, especially if they do have a drug dependency problem? Um, so, again, just to clarify, I'm not a legal expert, but here's something that we do know. Mm-hmm. So if we're looking at the current laws, the current law does not differentiate between a user who possess drugs and pushers who sell drugs, mm-hmm. right? And it really doesn't make sense for people to use drugs. It doesn't make sense for people to use drugs without possessing drugs. So that's this analogy of a colleague of mine um, that says, if you are a smoker, you would carry a few packs of cigarettes, but not cartons because you don't intend to sell them. Mm. So, so they must be carrying some a certain amount of drugs with them, right? But the law puts it that way. In, 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 in The law specifies that the threshold 
um, I mean, the threshold that the law set is very low. Um, and in a nutshell, we do have the Section 61 mm-hmm. of Dependent Treatment and Rehabilitation Act 1983, which puts uh, people who use drugs in compulsory rehabs with the intention of treating them. So we have that, Section 618. And, there's, and then there's also um, Section 51, which is the offence of drug consumption. Mm-hmm. So it's fine or prison or both. But usually, um, most of the cases that we see, people can't afford to pay for fine. So they end up getting prison time. Mm-hmm. And to the best of my knowledge, there isn't specific treatment or programs within the setting to address drug use in, in prison, right? And what's concerning is that over the years, um, let me quickly pull that data for you. Um, mm-hmm. So we're looking at the difference between Section 61A, which intends to put pre- tr- uh, people into treatment, versus Section 151, um, which is the criminal offence that put people in prison. So over the last five years, we are seeing an increased numbers in Section 151, increased numbers of people who are being sentenced for Section 151, which which eventually put them into prison. So as of, if, if, we're, if we're looking at statistics from 2015 to 2020, people who have been sentenced to Section 51 is at 468,000. Compared to section section six one, which is the treatment uh sentence, it's about fifty thousand. So that wow. is a huge difference between people who are being incarcerated versus people who are uh, getting treatment. So we want to reduce the, this gap by um you know offering uh more treatment to people as opposed to um placing them in um prison. And if we were to say look at this issue from a public health lens, that would mean offering treatment as that first line of option, uh, as that first first response, right, rather than prison. Yes, that's right. You're very right. We need to acknowledge that um, drug use is a public health issue, is a is is a public health concern rather than a criminal justice issue. It means that we need to look at better policies for people to use drugs and. There are alternatives to imprisonment. We can look at voluntary um, rehabilitation. We want to look at treatment in the community where people can, you know, can go and see their family as they wish, are uh, taking care of the children and, and 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 work at the same time getting treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, we want to focus more on harm reduction, uh, such as methadone for those who are using opioids. Um, we want to look at psychological assessment, um, you know, social support and all that as an alternative to imprisonment if mm. we're looking at a public health approach. Mm. But, you know, we do have some rehab centres um, scattered across the country. What are the gaps that you've seen in um, how accessible these rehab centres are or how effective the programmes are currently in helping people to um, get off their drug dependence? Um, so if we are looking at um, rehabs, these are mostly compulsory um, rehabs that we're seeing um, in the country. Mm-hmm. So we did a study before this, and, and, and I think this is a study that has been uh, mentioned quite a number of times. So we were comparing between um, HUSPEN, mm-hmm. which is the compulsory rehabilitation centers, as opposed to um, CNC, which is a voluntary-based uh, cure and care centers. So we are seeing that the median time to relapse to opioid use, meaning that if they are you know, finally released from HUSPEN, 
um, NCNC, the relapse rate for PUSPAD is one month, 31 days. Wow. Compared to people who, are, who have been in CNC, which is the a voluntary ones, the relapse rate is 352 days. So that's a year, right? And we're mm. seeing an, an 81% decreased chance of opioid, of opioid release, a relapse in uh, cure and care voluntary centers as opposed to um, Husband. So we're seeing this gap, this large gap in terms of relapse to opioid use. And I think um, this is something that we can use as an evidence to call for better policies for people who use drugs to promote um, voluntary community-based um, centres rather than compulsory um, uh, rehab centres. Hmm. All right. Um, you know, I also want to touch on, uh, since we're talking about reforms, the decriminalization of drugs, because that's something that always comes up when we have conversations about drug use, about drug abuse. How much, you know, how important is that um, as a step towards breaking down stigma and discrimination towards drug use? You know, will this make a difference in terms of changing societal attitudes towards drug users? Yes. In the long run, it would. Mm-hmm. We do know that uh, for a fact that um, rates of recidiv- recidivism is um, high in, in a way that people go to prison and then um, they go out and they start using drugs again and they go back in. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do know that uh, for a fact. But if we were to remove those penalties associated with a personal drug use, I'm talking about um, penalties for people who use drugs for their own personal use as opposed to uh, drug trafficking, right, mm-hmm. in this sense. Mm-hmm. Um, if we were to remove those penalties and promote, um, you know, divert them to other alternatives like um, treatment, social support, life skills, training, and all that, um, I think it would... Um, slowly reduce the levels of stigma associated with um, drug use because it's no longer um, punitive. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think over time, um, people who use drugs would have a better chance of um, getting jobs, um, building healthy relationships with um, family members and all that. So really, um, if we talk about ending stigma, it's about playing the long game, isn't it? We're not going to change people's mindsets overnight. No, no. Because the war on drugs has been going on for decades, right? Mm. And I don't think we are going to take (laughs) a short time to kind of change perceptions of um, drug use. And it's going to be challenging, Mm -hmm. right, uh, to do this, to change perceptions. Mm. It's As you said, it's been decades that this has been going on. I mean, the war on drugs clearly has not succeeded um, because this is still a problem that we're contending with today. What do you think has been the biggest barrier? Is it the the, the lack of um, political will to do this? Is it the the stigma? What do you think is the biggest problem? I think it's the basic understanding of what... um, drug use is and, mm. and also what drug dependence is because I don't think a lot of people had uh, a good understanding on those two. So, you know, as I've said, um, anyone who used drugs, they would automatically be labeled as um, drug addict, uh, mm. right? So I think there is this perception that um, a drug use equates a drug dependence and I think that is still very rampant uh, among our society. 
Mm. All right. Now I want to talk about the other side of this esteem, which is strengthening prevention. Now we all know prevention is better than cure. And, um, you know, right now I'm getting flashbacks to all the talks that we had back in school almost every year um, about why you shouldn't do drugs, but how it would impact you physically, um, how it's a social ill, how it you would end up being branded as a drug addict, as a criminal, um, if you do end up doing drugs. But I saw a recent statistic in the National Health and Morbidity Survey on Adolescents which found that three in four um, ever drug users started before the age of 14. That's quite concerning. Three in four um, started at a very young age. What aren't we doing right? You know, what would you like to see us improve when it comes to prevention so that people don't start using drugs in the first place? That's a very good question, Sue Ann, and I'm glad that I'm given this platform to speak about this. Um, so I think we have a strong um, educational program. You know, in schools, we have those talks. Uh, we have people from um, ADK coming mm-hmm. in to raise the awareness on the harms of using drugs. But I think um, in terms of prevention, it has to be more than the approach of saying no to drugs. Mm-hmm. We need to re-look at the environment in which people are living in. And I do mean youth, the younger generation, right? And I think we need to be more proactive in providing a better environment, investing more on programs, uh, making use of our community centres. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take the Cafe Teen, if you've heard about this before. It's a programme run by um, LPPKN. Mm-hmm. These are good programmes. Kids can go to um, to hang out after school. They can do their homework there instead of their homes because homes can be a bit crowded. Again, bear in mind, low-income families are more likely to experience drug use problems and problematic drug use. So what Cafe Teen does is that they provide spaces for the kids so that they can hang out there under the friendly supervision of counsellors. There are activities, there are programmes, they don't get bored. They don't mix with the wrong crowd. They don't think about drugs. And, you know, if you're looking at um, wealthy families, these are families who can afford to fill in their children's schedule and sending them to piano classes, to swimming classes. And these are all expensive, right? And not Mm. everyone can afford to do this. So if we could invest more on programs, after-school programs for kids to, 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 to go to, I think this would be a nice way of, you know, uh, preventing um, youth of a younger generation um, from the harms of drugs because they have things to do Hmm. Um, rather than um, looking for uh, other uh, harmful alternatives such as um, using drugs. Hmm. If I could ask here, Ika, you know, how much of a burden does it put on the healthcare system to treat people who are dependent on drugs? It's so much less expensive compared to um, imprisonment. So if if I'm not mistaken, I, I don't have the numbers with me. Uh, for a single person, if you're looking at uh, prison time, one year we would be um, spending, if I'm not mistaken, 22000 per person mm-hmm. for one year. Um, but if you compare this with treatment, that's about 7000 if people are diverted to methadone program. Mm. So that's a huge amount of saving that we can um, actually achieve. Hmm. And we're also talking about, and uh, and I'm reminded earlier about what you said about people often, you know, end up in this cycle of they, they come out of prison and then they end up in a situation where they are, they end up back in prison again, right? So that's cost that builds up. 
Yep, that's right. There is this cycle of poverty that we're seeing. Mm. So if I could round up our discussion today, you know, with some takeaway messages, right? If we first look at the um, public, you know, what would your advice be to people when it comes to um, Mm. how we talk about um, or how we talk to people who use drugs and and changing our attitudes? How can we be more mindful? We can think about how we have been dealing with drug use um, for so many decades, right? And we're seeing that the problem continues to be there and it doesn't really um, achieve, um, you know, removing drugs entirely from the society. We're still seeing drugs um, every day. We're still seeing um, high numbers of people uh, who use drugs. So we need to first um, acknowledge that we cannot achieve a society without drugs. But really what we can do is looking at ways how we can support um, our uh, drug users. For instance, for family members who are living with um, another family member who is using drugs, we need to educate ourselves in looking at what is the best way to support our Who can we reach out to? Mm-hmm. We have many, many NGOs out there who are working um for the community who use drugs. And this is our first point of contact. We can reach out to these NGOs and looking at ways how we can um, help our um, family members who are using drugs. Hmm. Um, yeah, so so that is for our society. That is our takeaway message for our society to think about how we're dealing with drug use. And again, um, same thing for policymakers. Mm-hmm. We need to be more open. We need to be more accepting that um, the war on drugs has failed and the current initiatives that we're doing uh, in the name of removing drugs entirely uh, might not work. So we need to look at more, we need to look at better policies that are grounded on evidence, that are grounded on, on science, uh, the best way uh, to address our drug, use, drug use issues is to look at how we can um, support them rather than uh, punishing them. Hmm. The criminal justice lens alone, we know it's not enough. So it's, you know, it's now more than ever, we need to look at this as a public health issue if we really want to address this problem. Yes, that's right. All right. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today, Ika. Thank you for having me. I've been speaking to Dr. Afika Mohamad Saleh, Senior Lecturer in the Department of Social and Preventive Medicine at University Malaya's Faculty of Medicine. She's also part of the Centre of Excellence for Research in AIDS, also known as CHERIA, um, speaking to me in conjunction with International Day Against Drug Abuse and Illicit Trafficking. If you missed any part of today's show or any previous Live and Learn episodes, you can download our podcast on bfm.my or on the BFM app. I'm Lim Suan and this has been Live and Learn, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.